0: Welcome to Ashto Resource Q&A. We're taking time to discuss construction materials, testing, and inspection with people in the know. From exploring testing problems and solutions to laboratory best practices and quality management, we're covering topics important to you. Now, here's our host, Brian Johnson.
1: Welcome to Ashto Resource Q&A. Today, we're going to talk with our very own Tracy Barnhart, Quality Manager, about internal audits Tracy, welcome to the podcast
2: Morning,
0: Brian, thank you
1: And before we get too far, I need to recognize our producer and co-host, Kim Swanson Hello, okay. Kim
0: Hi, Brian, thanks for making sure you recognize me
1: Yeah, I, well, you know, when you jump in, I don't want people to be like, who's who's that third Ooh, person? That? Mystery guest
0: I don't know, maybe I want the um, element of mystery hmm.
1: Yeah, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? just mystery guess.
0: Yes. Well, I'm excited for this episode because I know this is one that we get a lot of questions on internal audits and so I think this is going to be really useful for people. So I'm excited to dive right in.
1: All right, so Tracy, just just the basic question, what is an internal audit?
2: An internal audit is an independent and objective evaluation of criteria. The point of it is to ensure that you're in compliance with requirements and that you're actually implementing those requirements and activities.
1: Okay, so what does that look like uh, when an internal audit is going on? What is that experience like for the people involved?
2: The experience involves a lot of review of records and documentation. Uh, It also involves, if you're doing it properly and effectively, it would involve observation of ongoing activities within your laboratory And as well as talking to people, interviewing them about their activities and their experience with the quality management system and things of that nature.
1: Okay, so this is a quality audit of the quality management system and implementation of the quality management system at the laboratory. So you mentioned independent up front. How can it be both internal and independent?
2: Where possible, the internal auditor should be independent of the activities being audited. That's actually a requirement in AASHTO R18. So, for example, a laboratory manager should not be auditing their own records and documentation if they're responsible for those activities, if there is someone else in the laboratory that is able to do that. I think a lot of our customers think that internal audits have to be conducted by the laboratory manager. And that is not correct. An internal audit can really be conducted by anyone with proper training and knowledge of the QMS and what's being reviewed during the internal audit. So it could be an administrative person, it can be a technician. You can have different people involved in different aspects of the audit to ensure independence. So I think in most of our laboratories, uh, the independence factor is uh, able to be achieved
1: yeah, I would agree. I think a lot of people don't think outside the box enough and and think about like some of the positions that you just mentioned, and they really should. And I'll give you an example. You know we're relatively large uh, in our organization, but we try our best to ensure independence in our own internal audit. And I'd say the most notable instance of that is the fact that our Quality program actually goes through an internal audit with you as the quality manager. Now, Tracy, you're normally the person who conducts the internal audits or is the lead auditor for all of the other programs. How do we ensure that independence when the quality department is being audited?
2: We have a separate audit of quality-related activities. Those are things like customer feedback, corrective action, management reviews, and the internal audit process itself, among other things. And how that is coordinated is Bob Lutz, the manager of Ashto Resource, he actually takes the lead on that. He'll send an email to staff, ask for volunteers to be part of that audit team. He is responsible for training the auditors, giving them all of the documents that they need to conduct the audit. I'm completely out of the loop on that, except when it comes to scheduling. Obviously, I have to be available at a convenient time. But Bob takes the lead on that. So the activity is completely independent of what I normally do with those activities.
1: Okay, so Bob performs that internal audit. Now, how do we know that he knows what he's doing? Uh, Cause he doesn't, <laughs> he's not the normal auditor. So I'd say this question kind of would come up and be relevant for anybody who's looking to have, uh, you know, especially a smaller organization where they don't have a lot of people involved. How do we get somebody who doesn't normally do those kind of activities up to speed on how to perform an internal audit effectively.
2: With Bob, he actually has many, many years of auditing experience because when he started at Ashto Resource or what was formerly AMRL, he was hired as an assessor. So he has the auditing skills and he is also familiar with our quality management system and ISO 9001, which is part of our internal audits that reviewing the requirements in that standard. So he has the familiarity and knowledge himself. And then when he's training other people who also typically have auditing experience, the ones that are on the auditing team, he can train them on the actual standard itself and also provide any auditing skills training that are necessary. I did create a PowerPoint presentation for internal audit training, which he has access to, everyone on staff has access to that. So it is a a brief presentation on internal auditing, how to do that effectively, what is ISO 9001, what should you be looking for during internal audits. So we have that covered as well. And then I have worksheets created for ISO 9001 requirements uh, laid out just as the standard is, clause by clause, uh, and that is a document that is used by all internal auditors uh, when we conduct our audits.
1: Because you have all of those background training materials, I imagine you could probably take somebody that doesn't have the background experience like Bob and train them on how to perform that internal audit as well. But let's say you're a a small laboratory and you really don't have those resources at your fingertips. What would you do to make sure that you can get somebody who maybe is a non-technical person that works for your company up to speed on how to perform an internal audit
2: there are a lot of external resources available for that there are webinars available on internal auditing there are actual classes that you can take either virtually or in person on internal auditing i've actually taken those classes as well over the years here with ashto resource Uh, also you could hire a consultant to assist you with the internal audit, again, as long as they're familiar with the audit criteria and your business, they should be able to help you conduct an effective internal audit.
1: Okay, that is a tricky one. And (laughs) I know that laboratories have asked about that before. How do you take somebody who is not internal to your company, like a consultant, and have them conduct an internal audit in a way that it's still considered to be an internal audit?
2: That is a great question, we do get that one a lot. Uh, A lot of the consultants I'm familiar with have the background with internal auditing and they're very familiar with construction materials testing. So I think that helps a lot right there. If you are looking into hiring a consultant, you wanna make sure that they actually have the CMT experience, Uh, that would definitely help the effectiveness of the internal audit. And you wanna make sure that they're somewhat familiar with your business practices in your laboratory. I think if you hire somebody that has complete unfamiliarity with both CMT testing and your own laboratory's business practices, I'm not sure how effective that internal audit would be. I'm not sure what your experience has been with that, Brian, but that's how I would answer that question.
1: Yeah, my, my experience has been that sometimes people ask about whether they can hire a consultant to perform that. And I'd say it really that, that consultant really needs to be knowledgeable about everything about your business. So they can't come in cold and just perform an audit. That would be more like an external audit. They've got to understand all the inner workings. They need to know the people more. So I would say you'd probably have to have a couple... Maybe, maybe a, a few meetings or a long meeting where they get to know everybody and they really get to dig in to how you do your work and interview a lot of people and perform the internal audit uh, the way that your quality management system indicates that it needs to be performed internally. But but we have to kind of evaluate that and, what, and determine whether or not that's suitable uh, as an internal audit.
2: Right. And our customers should also realize that nobody knows their business better than they do. Uh, So ideally, you should be conducting your own internal audits, because another benefit of conducting internal audits is to identify improvement opportunities. It's easier to do that with your own people because you're really familiar with your own processes, requirements, and everything else that goes on in the quality management system. So... I wouldn't be too quick to hire a consultant if you're able to conduct an effective internal audit yourselves because those improvement opportunities are gonna be identified a little bit easier if you do them on your own. And Brian, you brought up something that I I wanted to touch on as well. Uh, If you are hiring a consultant or no matter how you're doing the internal audits, you wanna make sure that your quality management system procedure for internal audits accurately reflects what you're doing as far as the internal audit process.
0: So I have a question, Tracy, for you that we've used this term in the 10 minutes or so that we've been chatting of effective internal audits. How do you define effective in that way? Like what makes an internal audit the most effective it can be?
2: Effective internal audit for me is a very thorough audit, making sure that you're hitting all of the key points of your laboratory's quality management system, all of the uh, key requirements in ASHTO R18, doing a random sampling of records to make sure that you're kind of hitting all the high points on equipment records, technician training, and evaluation records, things of that nature. Also, to me, an effective internal audit does result in identification of improvement opportunities, that you're really taking the time looking at things and thinking of ways that you could do them better in the future.
0: Brian, do you have anything to add that makes it effective for the accreditation side of what makes it effective for laboratories?
1: I, it's effective if you get something positive out of it. Uh, I, I, the the most ineffective ones I've ever seen are the ones that say everything is fine. I always, when I see that, I question whether they even performed it. Because even, even a, a laboratory that is really uh, doing an amazing job, keeping up with things will identify an improvement opportunity or will find something that is not ideal. And uh, I can tell from looking at an internal audit record how seriously that laboratory is taking the process. You can tell right away. And there are times where this actually happened yesterday. We were having a meeting and talking about looking at an internal audit record. And I said to the quality analyst, I would send it back to them and say, uh, now perform one uh, because there was a a." Uh, alleged record that was submitted, but there is no way that it was really conducted. I mean, the laboratory had a a fair amount of nonconformities in the report that would have been obviously identified if an internal audit was uh, conducted, because typically, an internal audit is gonna show way more than an external audit would, because the people actually know the people that are doing it, and they typically open up to them more about what's going on. Like, I'll give you an example. Let's say somebody was uncomfortable with a process they were supposed to carry out. And the o- internal auditor says, okay, you know, Kim, you're, you're supposed to be uh, doing this one activity every six months. And, and Kim looks at the internal auditor and says, I don't even know what that is. Well, they're probably not going to say that to the external auditor, but the internal auditor is going to hear it. And Kim will say, listen, I don't know what that is. I don't know why I'm listed for that. Uh, either either we need to stop doing that or somebody else yeah. needs to be assigned <laughs> it or I need to be trained on how to do that. And right. then all of a sudden you say, OK, well, let's get let's figure out what we can do to fix this and do it the right way. And and, and it kind of opens up possibilities for how to do things the right way. That That's the benefit of the internal audit is having that kind of uh, candor associated with the audit process, and and that leads to more effective corrective action. So, that's what I would say makes it truly effective.
2: I completely agree, Brian, and to t- touch on that a little bit more as far as Kim's question about effectiveness, you mentioned this briefly. If you're finding that Ashtray Resource or CCRL, they come in for a third-party external audit, and they're finding all kinds of things that are not in conformance in the quality management system or the R18 requirements, but internally you did an audit leading up to that and nothing was identified, everything was in conformance. I think that is a reflection that the internal audit probably wasn't as effective as it could have been or should have been. So I would reevaluate the internal audit process Making sure that there was ample preparation involved, making sure that there were random samples of activities that were evaluated. The preparation part for me, that can take a day or two before I even start doing an internal audit. You don't want to just wake up in the morning and say, oh, I'm going to do an internal audit today and with no preparation whatsoever whatsoever. And I've seen records like that as well, Brian, where there are no findings at all. And then I've asked for, well, can you show me the check sheets that you've used for the internal audit or any sort of evidence that this audit has been conducted and and they're not able to provide me anything except a uh, one sheet of paper that says everything was in compliance. So again, taking taking a look at it, reevaluating the process, even the procedure for conducting internal audits would be beneficial to lead to an effective audit there really shouldn't be any surprises when you have third-party audits if you're doing a thorough and effective internal audit you shouldn't be really surprised by anything
1: yeah no, I, I want to jump back to the issue we were talking about with the internal versus external because we, we talked about the small lab but there's another issue that can happen at the larger labs so if you have a large corporation that has many locations A lot of times those laboratories will have a central quality management system and uh, central internal auditors that then perform the internal audits at the different branches. And let's say you're a company of maybe 100 locations and you have a system like that. How do you avoid that internal audit being more like an external audit? I
2: think that person would be, in that case, very familiar with the laboratory's operations and business practices. So that gives them an advantage right there. They are probably also should be very familiar with AASHTO R18 requirements. If the laboratory is certified to ISO 9001 or other standards uh, such as that, they would be very familiar with that. So you're having a person who has that intimate knowledge and familiarity with the laboratory's system, essentially, which is different than an external audit. When we come in from to Resource, we, we have the familiarity with the standards and what the requirements are. But because we go to hundreds, thousands of laboratories to do our external audits, we're not intimately familiar with the laboratory's business practices. And, and to me, that's the key difference between those two.
0: And I would have to say, or my guess, because I honestly don't know, but when you ask that question, Brian, that there is an advantage perhaps to having the centralized, if they're visiting hundreds of laboratories, they see how other laboratories in their own system are doing it and can bring that perspective for improvement opportunities as well. So I think something like that might be an added advantage in that scenario where it's not necessarily third party and not necessarily internal kind of thing. So perhaps there's an advantage in that way too.
2: Yeah, that's a great point, Kim, and that also can lead to consistency and processes between the different branch locations, and they can learn from each other. Yeah, that's a great point.
1: Yeah, that that is true, but I think that it also comes with some risks to to the, (laughs) like I mentioned, the candor that comes with the internal audit that can be beneficial. If those branch laboratories in that system feel that the internal auditors are more like police uh, <laughs> or, or like us, when we come yes. in there, then all of a sudden that internal audit uh, has a risk to its level of effectiveness. So, I, like I, I think building those relationships uh, with the individuals at the branch could probably help eliminate some of that risk. But you know, it's it's tough. Like I know for a lot of the customers we have, we have very uh, small laboratories in our program. We have very large laboratories in our program. And a lot of times you can see some, you know, some scale scalable differences uh, that happen. Uh, some sometimes it's positive and sometimes it's negative. The larger or the smaller you are, um, but everybody's got to figure out how to make these things as uh, we keep using the word effective, yeah, as effective as possible, uh, given whatever your circumstance is. So I, I I don't want people to say well you know, because of our laboratory, we can't do X, Y, or Z. You can do these right. things and you can do them very well. And we've seen it uh, on both sides. We've seen excellent large ones and poor large ones, as well as excellent and poor quality on the, the smaller side. Uh, it just depends on your level of commitment to quality uh, and your understanding of quality principles. So, uh, you know, Tracy mentioned some training opportunities that are out there. I'd recommend that people take advantage of those uh, as much as possible leading up to an audit or just continuing to add education, you know, continual education to your plan for yourself and for your company. Uh, So we we talked a lot about the who, because I think that the, the question of who conducts the audits is probably the most popular question we get. Uh, related to internal audits. And let's get into what they are specifically. R18 talks about internal audits in that they are uh, a verification of the laboratory's operations to make sure they continue to comply with policies and procedures and the requirements of R18. Uh, It also indicates that you have to indicate the frequency of the review, uh, identify who conducts the review, which we talked about, and it has to address all elements of the quality management system. And, you know, I said the frequency has to be identified. Well, R18 also says it has to be done every every uh, 12, 12 months. months. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the guesswork is removed there, but you still have to indicate that in your own quality management system. And then you have to uh, record the the findings of the internal audit. So let's get into the what. So all elements of that quality management system have to be audited uh, so there, it sounds like there's two aspects here. That right, there's a making sure that it's in, in conformance with R18 requirements, and probably any other quality management system like C1077 or E329 uh, or any of those other standards, ISO 17025. If that's something that you're uh, you're concerned about as well, uh, so you've got that element making sure your QMS quality management system is in conformance, and then if it's being implemented in conformance with the way it's written, should those be split out into two activities or can you do that at once?
2: You can do that at once. Uh, Internal audits are basically three-dimensional. You're saying what you do with documented policies and procedures, making sure that those are in place, uh, doing what you say. So you're watching activities, making sure that activities are being performed in accordance with the requirements and also when you're reviewing the records, you wanna reflect back on what the documented procedures are and making sure the records line up to what you're actually uh, seeing and then proving it with objective evidence of what is actually uh, happening as a result of that activity, whether it's uh, equipment calibration record or a technician training and evaluation record or whatever that may be. And I've actually forgotten your question now, Brian, after after I explained that.
1: That's okay. That was a really long question. But my question is, when you're evaluating the, the your quality management system for conformance with standards, and then you're evaluating implementation of your quality management system, is it best to have those as two separate activities? Or can you do that all at once? Or what? what's the best process?
2: You can, of course, do everything all at once. For me, as an internal auditor, I find it a lot easier and, it, and it's a lot more effective for me if I do what's called a desktop review of the QMS documentation before I even do an internal audit. So I'll go through, randomly sample a lot of the procedures that we have in our own QMS as part of my preparation for an internal audit. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of that prep work ahead of time, so then i'm populating uh my worksheets with questions i want to ask about specific things when i'm actually conducting the audit i don't like to review documents at the same time as the internal audit because there are so many for me to review we have of course we're we don't have to be in compliance with asha or 18 but we have to be in compliance with ISO 9001 ISO 17043 for our proficiency sample program and our own quality management system which literally has hundreds of policies and procedures in it. I I don't wanna have to do all of that during the audit. So the prep step really helps me streamline the audit. And then I can focus more during the audit on talking to people and reviewing records because I've already reviewed the documented policies and procedures before I even got started.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, th- I think that's the preferable process to really capture everything and to 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 do this correctly. If you already have done the audit part of the of your QMS to make sure it's in conformance, you're going to get familiar with all those policies and procedures, maybe even some that you forgot about. Yeah, and you yeah. may and you may realize that there are ones you should have that you don't have. So that that's a good thing. Now now when you perform that that part of it, let's say the first part where you're evaluating your QMS for conformance with the standard, is it appropriate to do the entire review of the QMS every time you conduct an internal audit, so every year go through all of those things?
2: With R18, I think you should be going through all of those requirements. Uh, The list of requirements on R18 isn't nearly as long as it is in some of these other standards, Uh, so I would say yes for R18. With the ISO standards, I do review all of those requirements. I have check sheets laid out for for every single requirement in those standards, Uh, but I might focus more on certain aspects of those requirements uh, from year to year just to make sure that I'm really spending ample time reviewing things. I do make sure that we're in compliance with everything, but I, I might focus on a certain area a little bit more one year than I do the next year.
1: Yeah, and I also want to confirm that R18 does require all elements of the standard to be covered. So that 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 it that was a little bit of a trap question, because <laughs> it it does require, and and you're right though, R18 is pretty slim down uh, compared to some of the other quality management system standards. Uh, so it is not an overwhelming task to perform that. Now let's talk about the implementation phase when you are conducting the internal audit uh, implementation how much can you sample there? Because there are certain things like, let's talk about competency evaluations. So you may look at competency evaluation records and how many of those do you need to see before you're satisfied as an internal auditor?
2: It depends on the program. I conduct internal audits of each of our main programs separately. Uh, So I can give you an example. I recently uh, conducted the internal audit of the laboratory assessment program. And we have, I'm going to guess, 25 assessors right now on staff. I do not look for competency evaluations for all 25 assessors. That would take a very long time. Uh, With 25 assessors, I might look at five, five or six records, just randomly sampling those. If everything seems to be in compliance and we're doing them as we say that we're doing them and they're being done on time, I can put a period and move on. I don't need to look at the other 20 records, but you have to caution people when you're doing internal audits, because of the random sampling that's involved, there may be things that are not in compliance that aren't uncovered during the audit. So it depends. Now with your staff, Brian, you have a smaller staff. I think you have 10 quality analysts and then with the PSP staff, our proficiency sample program staff, that's even a smaller amount of people. Uh, So I may actually take the time and look at all of those records because it's not as daunting as it would be with the 25 assessors. So uh, it really just depends. Uh, But I like to look at at least five or six to get an idea of whether or not we're in compliance.
1: And you mix it up each year so that you don't repeat the same thing over and over again?
2: I sure do. I keep a list of the records that I look at from year to year and same when I'm sampling our own quality management system policies and procedures. As I mentioned earlier, we have hundreds of them. I keep a list of that in the actual final report and in my notes. And then when I'm preparing for next year's internal audit, I go back over the past two or three years. Okay, well, I've already reviewed all of these procedures. So I'm gonna try to hit some new ones this time, but there are some that I hit every time. That are important, like you mentioned, the training and competency evaluation activities, those are very important to the success of our programs. So I I definitely review those every time. I always review equipment calibration records, things of that nature. But some of the, the little things like how do we do invoicing for the AAP program or how do we do that for the PSP, I don't need to do that every single time, but I make sure that I hit that topic with some frequency just to make sure that we're in compliance.
1: Yeah, so what what do you use as your decision-making tool to figure out what you need to emphasize during the internal audits or which which things you decide are going to be the ones that you look at every time and which ones can be sampled a little bit more loosely?
2: Some of that depends on previous internal audit findings, uh, especially if we have a history of, and this is hypothetical, but let's say we have a history of we're not doing our equipment calibrations on time, that we've lapsed in that or some details were missing on the records. And I see a history of that. I'm going to want to hit that every time, pretty hard, until I'm satisfied that the corrective action that we've taken in the past has been effective. So a lot of it depends on what I'm seeing from previous internal audits, as well as external audits. We are audited by accrediting body for our ISO 9001 certification. So if things are identified on those reports, I want to hit those during the internal audit as well, again, to make sure that our corrective actions from the past have been effective. So it, it really depends. Uh, but I want to, again, I'm just trying to make sure that over the course of you know three years, I've pretty much hit most, if not all of our QMS Processes are the ones that we have on our own that aren't necessarily required by ISO 9001. I want to make sure that I'm hitting all of those at some point during uh, that three-year period. Uh, But some things I do review every time, like records retention, where we're keeping records. I definitely review that. Each time, equipment and personnel, things related to that, which are also very important to our programs.
1: Yeah, so, so just to generalize that, it sounds like you're evaluating the risk of nonconformance. Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. So, that, so that that makes a lot of sense because we really are trying to just become better all the time through the, the internal audit program helps us figure out what we need to do to get where we want to go with, with our quality, which is to be excellent, right? Like we want We want our quality to be the best. It can be now. uh, Let's let's talk about the results of the audit. So when you conduct the audit, you know you may find some some issues here or there. How do you know what to do with it? What do you what do you do? Do you grade them? I mean, R (laughs) eighteen is very. It doesn't even comment on whether you have to have minor nonconformities, major nonconformities, observations, whatever you. So the laboratory has a lot of freedom on how they want to uh, define the results of their internal audits, what would you recommend laboratories do?
2: I can explain how I categorize things on our internal audit reports. First of all, I don't ignore anything. If something comes up and something is amiss, that's at a minimum gonna be a comment on the report because this is an internal audit. We've talked a lot about this today. We're looking for improvement opportunities, and I wanna communicate to the program that I'm auditing and and as well, the entire staff eventually gets a copy of the internal audit report, but I wanna communicate anything that was amiss during the internal audit. Does everything have to be a nonconformity? Not necessarily, it depends on what it is. You have to think about, is it a value to identify something as a nonconformity because internally you're gonna have to do a corrective action report for that, a root cause analysis. So if you looked at 10 records and on one of those records, a period was missing out of 10, it was an oversight on that person's part. I'm going to note that in a comment on the report so that it's there for the record, but I wouldn't necessarily note that as an official nonconformity. That could be an observation. Observations according to the way we categorize our findings, don't require corrective action, but they're still noted on there as something that was not in conformance with requirements. And then I also categorize, so I might have a list of just comments, little one-off things, and then I'll also have a list of improvement opportunities. Those are in a separate section on the report and we go through those at the closing meeting so everyone knows what was identified as an improvement opportunity. So there's really like four different ways that I can categorize these types of findings. But I just I don't like to really ignore anything.
1: Yeah, that's that is clear to me when uh <laughs> the Ashto accreditation program gets its internal audit. No stone is left unturned. But I will say uh, the improvement opportunities and the nonconformities and observation, all the stuff that you write is is welcome because it makes us better. Now there's one other thing that that we didn't mention yet that I think is is worth pointing out, and it's often missed or just not even thought about, but the positives that come out of the internal audit. So you don't only talk about improvement opportunities, nonconformities. You also talk about things that are going especially well uh, and efforts that should be pointed out and congr- people congratulated. Uh, th- this step is it really makes the internal audit special because the external auditor may not realize all the efforts going in, but certainly the internal audit auditor should. Do you wanna comment on on that part of the I audit?
2: I sure can. I just completed the proficiency sample program internal audit last week, and I had a couple of those comments on that report. First of all, I went back into our production facility, which is a very large facility. There is a lot going on back there. We share the facility with CCRL. It's separated into four huge rooms. I went back in there and was astonished at how clean everything was. The housekeeping was amazing. I commented that I could almost eat off the floor. I wouldn't do that, but all the samples were stacked neatly, everything had a label it was it was just if you're going into Sam's Club where everything was just so organized, easy to find, equipment was put away, there were no cords across the floor. So I commented on that in the final report for the proficiency sample audit that housekeeping was very impressive. And I talked about all of those things that I just mentioned. So that was one thing. Uh, another thing that I commented on Many of our customers, most of our customers should be aware now we're switching to an aggregate degradation and gradation sample next year for the uh, proficiency sample program. So I was asking about that during the internal audit because that is something new, a change to our program. And I saw a lot of documentation about that. John Molesky had prepared basically a report uh, when he was doing the research before this was even announced or even decided upon It was a multi, I think it was 20 pages of research that he did and why we're doing this and how it'll affect customers and what are the benefits of it, what are the risks. And I was very impressed with that. And then I saw an email that we had sent to customers recently outlining that program, the changes to the program. It was very clear. So all of that, I also commented on in the internal audit report that I felt the communication regarding that change uh, was very thorough and effective. So I think it's important to note those types of things. I don't think you should feel obligated to do that. But when you're doing an internal audit and something really jumps out at you is like, wow, this is great. They're doing a really great job with this, whether it's record keeping or the way they're training people or, or whatever it might be, even customer feedback, if the customer feedback has been excellent. I think it's great to, to point those things out because we don't want to just be focusing on negative things during an internal audit. It, the idea of an internal audit is improvement. But, why not also give kudos for things where warranted?
1: I agree. And I'd say one of the one of the things that is often missed, you know when you're going through this process, a lot of the laboratories in our program are performing these internal audits because they have to. I would say if you are if you are thinking that right now that you do them out of necessity, I would encourage you to think about some other aspects of the internal audit that may be, Uh, more worthwhile to you if you feel like you're just kind of going through the motions like uh, your customer focus at your at your laboratory are you serving the needs of your customer the best way possible are there some things you can do better Uh, communication are you communicating internally and externally well safety safety is a big priority that's not addressed in r18 but you better believe it's important i would recommend adding things like that are there any other things you can think of like that tracy
2: With the safety, we actually have a separate internal audit of our safety program because safety is so important to us, particularly with all the machinery that we use for the proficiency sample program. I have incorporated an IT internal audit. Pretty much Astro Resource would be nowhere without IT. It's so critical to our business uh, that I do a separate audit just of the IT program. I do a separate audit of the administrative staff. Function and everything that they're doing. Again, it's so important to the success of our organization. So take the time to audit what they're doing and making sure that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. How can we do things better? And then you mentioned earlier, a separate audit of the quality program as well. So we actually do, I think, seven internal audits a year, breaking them down by program it would you mentioned earlier on brian that with the large laboratories they have a lot going on a lot of employees they might want to think about breaking internal audits down into more manageable pieces for instance if you're working at a dot and you have a separate concrete lab and aggregate and binder you might want to think about doing just a separate internal audit of each of those focusing just on what's going on within those different laboratories or departments
1: yeah, that's a great point. And and DOTs are a perfect example because a lot of times they operate uh not totally independently, but uh you know, their day-to-day is essentially independent other than the tie-in from top management and quality. But during that audit, they could also think about some ways that, you know, some efficiencies or communication or improved sharing of equipment or staff that could be done to kind of make things a little better make things run a little better. Uh, So those are all really good things. And I I would say that I have seen a lot of excellent internal audits that come through our program and I am always impressed with so many of the laboratories in our program and, and their dedication to their staff, the quality to their services I, I think it's great and uh, I'd love to see more of that and, and one of the things that I'd say this is not about technical exchange but one of the things that uh, I would like to mention is that we have this annual technical exchange and that's an opportunity for a lot of these uh, lab managers, quality managers, technicians, uh, technical people to get together and talk about best practices and talk about their experiences. And I think so much can be gained from that, especially when it comes to some of these issues like internal audits, where people are a little less comfortable. Uh, You know, not everybody went to school for quality. Sure. Uh, These things are learned on the job or through through some of these external forces, like having to go through an external audit and thinking about what that's like. Let's talk about, I think, the last aspect of this internal audit process is the nonconformities and and the follow-up. So... You're right. Let's say you, you perform the internal audit. You've got some nonconformities that need to be addressed. What What's a good way that laboratories can use to make sure that those corrective actions actually get taken and followed through on in a timely and effective manner?
2: First of all, when you're identifying nonconformities, you want to make sure that there's a requirement that wasn't met and that you have evidence to back that up. One thing we like to tell people is if you just think it's a nonconformity, it's not. It has to be based on a requirement and uh, objective evidence that you have. At Asher Resource, when we do identify nonconformities, I issue a formal corrective action report as most of our laboratories would do, and I track those. Uh, we have deadlines on when the at least the corrective action plan has to be submitted. Uh, currently, we're tracking those uh, through Outlook, uh, but we're also migrating to a quality management system software. Ah, uh, package that will help us track and report things. I follow up with the people that I assign the corrective action reports to if I don't get them in time, and asking them, you know, how are things going? Do you need a little bit more time? With that, I'm reviewing the corrective actions that I receive from those individuals and making sure that they've done an effective and thorough job of addressing all parts of the nonconformity. Uh, once I do that, then the corrective action plan is forwarded to the manager of Astro Resource, Bob Lutz. He also takes a look at the corrective action reports, uh, making sure that we didn't miss anything. Uh, and then I'm not too quick to close those out. I think that's a trap that some people fall into. The, you know, you might get a nonconformity saying we didn't do our equipment calibrations on time. And the response was, well, we'll do a better job of tracking that next year. Well, how do you know that's gonna happen? I think you wanna keep a lot of these corrective actions open and check them for effectiveness, maybe in a month or three months or six months. Um, At any given time on our end, we have 10 or 15 corrective action reports that are open. Sometimes they're open for six months or a year. Some of them relate to proficiency samples and we have to wait until the next sample is issued to customers to make sure that we've effectively corrected whatever the issue was previously. So that would be my advice is to not close those prematurely but to make sure that the corrective actions have actually been effective and you're not seeing repeat issues in the future
1: yeah i appreciate that i'd say another thing uh, that people might want to consider is that when they have their management review uh, that's a great time to go over all of this with management how the internal audit went how the uh, corrective actions are tracking and really hold everybody accountable uh, in the organization uh, to make sure that they are doing things in line with the expectations of top management and uh, a lot of times that's just a good time to let them know how well things are going because There's always some positive things to report in those.
2: I completely agree with that. And also with corrective actions, and I know, Brian, you do this, uh, you know, why not consider getting others involved in that process? It doesn't have to be completed by Brian Johnson. If we have a nonconformity for the accreditation program, you're ultimately responsible for the corrective action report, but I know that you go to your staff and ask them for their suggestions on how to correct things. They're the ones doing the work. Why not get input from people that are directly involved in whatever issue it might be? You know, How can we make this better? Why do you think we had this nonconformity in the first place? The communication key I think is very important with corrective actions as well.
1: Well, yeah, thanks for pointing that out. And I agree, I, at, at my age, I've learned what I'm good at and what I'm not good at, and I try to get people involved. <laughs> Uh, who are better at certain things than i am Uh, and i'd say it it, that's a that's a good thing to reflect upon anytime uh, especially if you're in management uh, figure out what what other things can be done better than you can do them by your staff or others around you, colleagues i think we've we've covered the internal audits really well today Uh, thanks for your time and uh, hopefully people get something out of this. I think they will. Tracy, thanks for being here today.
2: You're very welcome, Brian. It was my pleasure. You know, I always love to talk about quality related topics.
1: And I'd say if you ever have questions about the internal audits, you know, you can reach out to Tracy Barnhart at tbarnhart at ashtoresource.org. She's also on the Contact Us page, like the rest of us are. If you have uh, questions or comments, about the podcast, that podcast at ashtoresource.org uh, email is still out there and available to <laughs> receive your message. Even if you want to say, hey, I listened to this and it was okay. Uh, we appreciate hearing from you anytime. Uh, so thanks. And, and uh, of course, you can email me at bjohnson at ashtoresource.org. We're always looking for new topics, new guests. Uh, if if that strikes your fancy. Uh, Kim, what do you think?
0: Well, I just wanted to let our listeners know that we briefly mentioned the topic of management reviews, and I wanted to let them know that we have a lot of resources on management reviews on our website, if that is something that they want to dive into, because I know that we get, there's some confusion between internal audits and management reviews. So we have a couple uh, podcast episodes about management reviews, as well as Tracy, did a webinar about management reviews. So I wanted just to direct people to that after listening to this so they can see really how different they are.
1: Yeah, and we do a deep dive on management reviews in the one episode was sort of with like an internal panel discussion. Yeah. And I think you really get to the to the heart of the matter by listening to that episode. So thanks for mentioning that. So check that out if you have a chance. And thanks for listening to Ashto Resource Q&A.
0: Thanks for listening to Ashto Resource Q&A. If you'd like to be a guest or just submit a question, send us an email at podcast at org, or call Brian at 240-436-4820. For other news and related content, check out Ashto Resources' Twitter feed or go to org.